Hello and welcome to the Mission Recovery Podcast. My name is Maruf Ahmed and I'm the co-founder of Quit Genius, the world's leading digital clinic for substance addictions. I'm going to be speaking to inspiring individuals about their journey to addiction recovery. Recovery should be celebrated and the goal of Mission Recovery is to break down the stigma surrounding addictions and to empower others to live addiction-free lives. This is Mission Recovery. Welcome to the Mission Recovery Podcast. In today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by Joshua Evans. Joshua is a singer, actor, and a YouTuber with over 1 million followers on his channel, Joshua DTV. Joshua has an inspiring recovery journey to being one year sober, and I'm excited to hear it from him today. Joshua, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, It's a pleasure, man. This is uh, something I've been looking forward to for quite some time now. Absolutely. Likewise, likewise. I'm sure many of my listeners already know who you are, but for those that don't, tell us a little bit about who you are, Joshua. Sure. Uh, My name is Joshua David Evans. I'm originally from Macon, Georgia, and over the last decade or so, I uh, eventually gained over a million subscribers on YouTube where I have created content based off of my personal life anything that interests me. So uh, over the last decade, I've had a lot of people watch me just for my daily life. Uh, And then to the side projects, what comes to like music creation, music videos, directing, little side projects like that. So that's what I've been doing for the past decade. And I've really uh, had the blessing of meeting so many different people because of it at meet and greets and hearing other people's stories. So yeah, I'm the YouTube guy, I guess. A YouTube guy, looking for the next chapter in life. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you're being very humble because you've been very successful as a result of it as as well with a huge following. So congratulations to to all that you've achieved there, Joshua. Joshua, for today's episode, I, I wanted to, if it's okay, dive into your alcohol story and your journey with with alcohol and how you've now recovered and that recovery journey to now being one year sober. So Joshua, do you mind rewinding all the way back to the beginning and telling me a little bit about how your relationship with alcohol started? Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like fuck me, but oh no, oh no, 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 no. If I'm going back, I don't know if you know that meme, but it basically it's- a, I do it's a know that meme. Like, I do know that meme. It catches <laughs> someone doing something that they're like- <laughs> They're about to fall or trip or they're, you know, something's happening. So let's talk about alcohol. Oh no, here we go. It's viral on TikTok at the moment, that, that move and that audio. Exactly. Yeah. So the very first memory I have of alcohol is from uh, my family growing up in the South in a very conservative Christian household. Mm. Alcohol was demonized ever since I ever have a memory of it it's always been a bad thing. It's been a negative thing. And I was always warned, Hey, alcoholism runs in the family. You're going to have it. If you do it, you can't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And I don't know if uh, many people know this part of my story. Um, but I, I never even had a sip of alcohol until I was 27 years old. I didn't even try it because of my upbringing, because of there was this thing in the back of my head that thought I'm weak. If I do this, So Mm. I'm going to prove to my father that I'm not weak. So I'm not going to drink and I'll show everyone I'm a good person because it always equated to you're a good person if you don't drink and you're a good person if you don't do all these things. 
And so I always had a stigma in my head of stay away from it. It's bad. And then um, when I hit 27 is when I had my first drink, I went through a very, very, very painful breakup. And I was sitting in an apartment in uh, Michigan for a job because that's right before I was doing YouTube full time. And I was sitting in an apartment all alone in Michigan. I had left everyone to pursue, you know, working in entertainment. And then I just thought I've done everything the right way. I was trying to be a good person and I didn't drink. Hmm. Uh, And at the time, and I mean, we'll we'll get super transparent at the time I had never had alcohol. I had never smoked. I had never had sex. I didn't cuss. I was like the uh, like poster child preacher's kid that didn't go the wrong way. That didn't Hmm. sin. And I sat there and I was miserable and I was 27 and I thought, why am I not drinking? Am I not drinking because that's who I am or am I not drinking? I, di- I just didn't know anymore because I'm like, I'm not happy. I'm doing all the right things. I'm being a good person the way I was raised to be, but I'm still miserable. You know what? Maybe I'll have that drink. Screw it. I'm 27. Maybe I'll have that drink. And that was the beginning. And that one drink became many drinks. And it was never... I never thought of it as a problem until maybe who. So 27 was the first time I had a drink. So maybe well, I was 32. So five years after that is when it became a problem. But I realized that drinking for me um, became this thing that I started doing when I didn't want to feel my own life anymore. Yeah. So I wanted to feel something else. And so it was really small at first. And I think that's why most people don't see it coming, you know? So talk to me about how it progressed from that, you know, single drink to many drinks like you talked about, and then to the point and when you were 32 and really felt as though you needed support. So talk to me about that progression. Well, when I had that first drink, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for the people in my life because they knew me as the guy that didn't drink. It was so much of like the branding of who I was because I had made that. I made myself that person. I committed to playing a character that didn't drink. So when I, when I announced to my friend group, hey, I think I'm ready to have that drink, everyone was like, holy, you know what? Everyone gather around. Josh is going to have a drink. We got to be there for it. And it became, I was almost like their entertainment for that night. So where I should have had a drink to celebrate my very first drink, I ended up having like, more than 10 drinks that night because people kept handing it to me. People kept saying, try wine, try beer. Ooh, ooh, ooh he's got to try a shot. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this isn't good. What am I going to do? I've always heard you don't mix alcohol, but I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know what my tolerance was. I didn't know anything. And so that night, um, I vomited all night long and it wow. was not a good day. And then I realized, okay, well, that's not how I'm going to drink. I've done it now. I got that part out of the way. And then it became just a thing in my life that every now and then I would do. So it wasn't a problem. It really, really honestly wasn't a problem. Just that first time I was like a toddler let loose in a China shop. So it was just, I I was too young and naive to, in my mind, I was too young to know what alcohol was going to do to me. It was, um, honestly, it became a problem when my YouTube following became much larger. I was with someone else who was a YouTuber and our lives were so thrust into everyone's daily 
living because Mm -hmm. we chose to do that. So when things went really south behind the scenes between um, me and my ex-wife, of course, as studies show, what did I start to grab? I started to grab the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, when the when the divorce happened, and then I had everyone looking at me and everyone with something to say about my life, I, there was no place for me to go. Because mm-hmm. when I was not on camera, I was dealing with the pain and the thoughts of what was happening in my life. And then on camera, I didn't want to talk about it. So there was no escape for me. The only escape was the alcohol. In tough times, Joshua, it seems as if you were leaning on alcohol. Talk to me about why you lent on alcohol in these tough times and maybe some of the benefits that you were getting from drinking alcohol during these tough times. Honestly, it was the one thing that made me feel good for a few minutes. It was the one thing. And I was chasing that feeling over and over and over and over. It's just mm-hmm. that buzz. So the good thing was I'd wake up and be in so much misery. I have millions of people asking me questions about what's going on in my life. I don't want to tell them because it's personal. It just happened. And I didn't want to tell everyone what was going on because I was also trying to protect the other person. And so I thought I can do this. I have a control over it. I have control over this. I'm super sad. My life is a wreck. That's the thing I can control. I can control how much I drink. If I want to wake up and the first thing I do is swig on some vodka just to like get that kind of buzz, hazy feeling, I'm going to do it. No one's here to tell me not to. And I have, a con- I have control over it. I'm, I'm an adult. I know what I'm doing. And I would do that. And I did that. And I got away with doing that type of lifestyle for a few years. But then that buzz got harder and harder to get. So I had to try more and more and more to do it. And then there were more and more consequences to getting it. But I kept doing it because I kept saying, I have control of this. That's really interesting that you mentioned that you felt as though you had control to begin with. When did you feel as though you lost that control, Joshua? Oh, man, Um, I, I felt like I lost that control when I was doing it only to avoid the guttural pain I started to feel. So before it was just like, I'm tipsy, I'm drunk, this is fun. And I'm kind of tipsy throughout the day and then I sleep it off and it's fine. Then it became, I'm getting hangovers. Well, those hangovers are, are lasting longer and they're getting more painful and the drink would kind of numb that a little bit more. So I started, when I realized I was drinking, not just for the buzz, I was drinking to stop some of the pain in my stomach. Mm. And I was like, oh no, maybe this is a cycle that, I don't have the upper hand anymore, but I'm in it. I'm in this kind of infinite, what felt like an infinity loop of a cycle that I started to learn how to cope with it, redo it, adjust, redo it again. And it just, it was terrible, man. It was terrible. I mean, it got to the point where, I mean, I was, I was going through so much in life with just personal life, relationship, marriage, everyone seeing everything, not wanting to talk about it. My father left my mother after 40 years of marriage, all within the same time frame. And so like my foundations were breaking down. Mm. Everything that I associated with who I am was based on love, man. All I want to do is be a good person and be a husband. And now being a good person didn't work because I still wasn't good enough. 
even even though I had the checklist of being a good person, I was still being rejected by the person I wanted to be with. And then the the guy that established my respect for love and marriage. And as long as you have that, you can get by in life. He flipped the script and abandoned the family. And so I'm just sitting here like I got nothing left. Like mm-hmm. my my mental state and the way I perceive people in this life and the world and theology, it's all different. It's all changing. It's massively being shaken up. The only thing that makes it semi-okay is, let me grab that drink real quick. I would revolve my day around getting that drink. Wow. And it, it's just this drowning cycle, man. Wow. Yeah. But like when I say that and I think of my story, I don't think, oh man, I've had it real tough. I'm the only one that's been through anything. (laughs) The girl I was with didn't like me anymore. (laughs) I'm sad. Like I'm not the only person to have ever gone through that. So then I also feel guilty because I'm like, people have it worse than me. Mm. People have been through worse than me. I can't ask for help. I can't say I'm struggling. I can't say I don't have control of this anymore. That just admits even further that I'm a failure or that I'm worthless. I'm weak. All those Mm. fears of why I didn't drink in the first place now manifested years later. So I just didn't ever want to come off like, well, here's my excuse. So I deserve this drink, right? Yeah. Because I've been through a lot. So you guys need to like let me in person now. I know other people have been through way worse than me. I think a lot of people are struggling with addiction kind of think, well, who am I to complain about any of this? Yeah. Like, look, I know a guy that lost, lost his wife or I know a person that lost their child. So I'm sitting, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a mental jail that you end up putting yourself in and all alcohol does is keep you in that jail. That's all it does, man. Wow. That's an amazing analogy. Like just being locked up in this jail and you've talked about how almost this holistic effect on your life like everything around you almost like falling to pieces your marriage that you talked about which we'll touch on in a little bit like you mentioned that you know your your parents splitting up this all coming together at the time when you were drinking the most talk to me about the lowest point that you ever had joshua it's hard to pinpoint one because i lost track of how many times i said to myself well this is rock bottom i lost track and there was a period of probably three months straight from 2019, 2020, like the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, where I found out I had stomach ulcers that were massive and, and I had it checked out at the hospital. And basically they weren't caused by alcohol. They were caused by stress, the way I was eating, uh, just internally, what my mind was not allowing my body to recuperate. And the alcohol was just pouring literal poison on an already existing wound. And what happened was there was a period of three months where I would wake up and for three hours, I would just vomit. I would vomit, dry heave, like sweat pouring out of me. I was about 35, 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And I would shake and my eyes were bloodshot and I would grab the sink and just dry heave. There was nothing left in me. And I ended up at the hospital two or three times and genuinely thinking, I'm okay if this takes me out. I'm okay with that. I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to like end it myself 
like physically be like, I'm choosing to. And that's what I, it was never that it was just, I'm all right. If I just don't wake up, I'm all right. I'm tired of this torture. I'm tired of the torture. I failed at everything I tried to do and everything I thought was real. Isn't real anymore. And everything I'd put my life into my career, my heart, it all fell apart with an audience who doesn't understand really what happened and why this is so difficult for me. So, but again, man, I know this sounds so heavy, but bright side is that was a, <laughs> that was a, a year and a few months ago. So it's, it's night and day, but that was, it was, it wasn't like one moment of, of badness. It wasn't one moment of this is the lowest of lows. It was a period of three months of thinking today could be the day I might not wake up today because I, the, the amount I used to think if you put empty bottles of everything I'd had to drink in a period of one year, I knew you could fill up the entire bed of a truck. I knew you could, because I knew what I was th secretly throwing away in the trash or finding places to hide the empty bottles and then waiting for a, an opportunity to throw them away. It was just, it becomes so much of your life. Your life is consumed with getting the drink, but then maintaining the illusion that you're not doing it and you're yeah. not hiding it and you're not throwing things. Away. It's, whew, man. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy, Joshua. The, the impact that it had on your physical health with the stomach ulcers, the impact it had on your mental health with, you know, the thoughts that were running through your head. Talk to me a little bit about some of the impact that alcohol had on, you know, your personal life, your career, your relationships. What impact did drinking a truck full of drinks have on you and your personal career? Well, if I had removed alcohol or had a grasp over it during the time of the divorce and everything was being broadcast on the internet, if I had not had alcohol, I think all of the moments that I started to break down and slip and even make videos where I was venting and tr saying my story or whatever, like hinting at it, but not saying anything. Like I played this weird game of wanting to be validated about what I had been through without telling people truly what happened. So I came off as like a, a drunk, petty man. <laughs> and I think if I had not had alcohol in my system, I would have not uh, reacted in that way and used YouTube in that way to vent. And it was almost like a cry for help, uh, but it damaged um, business roles I had with people. I had brand deals set up and there was a couple of times where I couldn't, I couldn't even film the brand deal that was worth a lot of money because I was so hungover. I knew I couldn't hide it on camera. Mm. I'd been throwing up all day. I mean, I lost money. I lost jobs. I'm sure people distanced themselves because they're like, he's, he is a sinking ship. Mm. We have, we have been on the ship as long as we can be. And it's time to, to save ourselves. And I, and that mm. happened. And that again, my friend, what just added so many more reasons why I picked the bottle up even more because mm. I started seeing things are falling apart. I'm not blaming myself at that point. Mm. It's not my fault. It's not alcohol's fault. It's their fault. They just, they're fair weather friends. They're not going to stick around or these jobs. It, YouTube's all about the community, right? They don't care about what I'm going through. Mm. Like it, like it just was in my mind. It, poison my perception of people 
I just thought I was the victim with everything. Now, I'm not saying that I wasn't a victim, but I, when you play into it, when you mm-hmm. lean into being a victim, rather than saying, yeah, that sucked. It shouldn't have happened to me, but I'm going to do better. I didn't do that in alcohol. Any opportunity, I could have been like, I'm coming out. Here we go. Time to go. Whew, let's do round two, man. I got this. Nope. I would drink the alcohol and I would just sink right back. Yeah. Any chance I had to get out of that hole, alcohol kept me there. But I didn't know that. I didn't want to admit that because I thought if I removed the alcohol, then I got nothing left. If I don't have that, I got nothing. It was that important. So it destroyed a lot, man. That's really interesting, uh, Joshua. And thanks for sharing that. It's interesting how you mentioned that there was this vicious cycle. So every single time you were low, you just went back to alcohol. But it's also interesting to hear how well, you were suffering inside, but you didn't tell everyone that you were suffering inside, that you were suffering from this addiction to alcohol. Why not, Josh? Shame. Embarrassment. Everything that I thought I had been running from since I was a kid, I felt like if I say this, they're all true. They're all right. Everything that they said to me as a kid, you'll be weak if you do this. This runs in our family. Don't do this. Only a weak man would do that. Did you do that, Josh? Did you do that? Did you have a drink? No, 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 no. All of that, I had, it basically was me admitting, even the guy that I am so angry with for cheating on my mother and leaving my family, I still wanted you to think I was a good person. Mm. You were the one that put that in my head, but you were right. You were right. It did make me weak. It made me weak. And it was hard to admit to people. It was hard to admit... I guess, but again, for so long, because YouTube had been so successful for me, I was able to provide for so many people. And that made me feel so great. I was able Mm. to help people out financially. I was able to take people on trips, say, hey, don't worry about it. Let me get the meal. What you can't see someone in your family. Let me buy you a plane ticket. And to admit that that was all slipping away and it was my fault and drinking had a big part in that that I wouldn't be of service to someone. I couldn't help someone. I was ashamed to tell anybody mm. it, because they already, I already thought they saw me fail in other areas. Mm. Why would I admit this? Like, this is my thing. I'll handle it. Especially I got remarried. I, I remarried, I uh, got married to um, my college sweetheart that I've known. Congratulations. Thank you. That I've known since I was um, 19 years old. I'm 37 now. <laughs> And, uh, the, I think the hardest thing was not telling her Mm. this person that saw me at my lowest said, I'm, I still see the value in you. I always did. Our paths have crossed and I'm willing to love all of you. I did not want to say, Hey, I'm a piece of trash. I drink every day. I drink in the morning. It's the first thing I do. Mm. Um, and then when I get off the phone with you, when we're like getting to know each other again, I'm drinking or now that we're together, and we're engaged. Guess what I did before um, you Ubered over here? I drank. Guess what I'm going to do when you fall asleep? Drink. It's like I'd never, ever wanted to admit that. And I hated it. I hated it. And I felt so terrible as a person because this precious woman who saw value in me, who didn't do anything wrong, who trusts me. And I love her. Now, like, I'm not doing anything shady to her, but it was like I was taking a part of myself away from her. Mm. She wanted to love all of me and I wasn't letting her because I'm like, well, this big, so don't help me heal. Don't help me get through it. 
it's so I it was so is oh man I I, yeah. I fumble over words at this because I never ever want to hurt her or anyone in mm. my life and alcohol any negative voice you have in your head man alcohol will be that voice it will commit to that voice and it will live in your head you drink you're not any bad thing that you have in your head that alcohol is gonna be like yeah that that's right yeah hey man don't try this hey don't make a video hey don't do this the alcohol's like hey that other guy's right yeah don't drink i mean don't make a video you suck yeah so it was hard not telling her man it was hard not telling her really like sympathize with you there because of like you know how you were brought up and almost you feeling like telling someone that shame associated with it, the embarrassment associated with it you know you feeling like you're a piece of trash and not wanting to tell anyone that is you know something that a ton of folks that suffer from addiction feel like right they don't feel comfortable telling people but joshua be really curious to hear who was the first person you did tell and how did that feel I don't think I've said this out loud to anybody. All right. Well, you get the scoop. Um, so there's another YouTuber who now basically writes films uh, mm. for these bigger productions now, but he started as a YouTuber. His name is Steve Green. He's been there through some of the big parts of uh, what's gone down for the last few years. But I remember I went to a Mexican restaurant with him and we were going to just catch up. Uh, the divorce had already happened life was unfolding. The internet was seeing everything. And, uh, I remember sitting down at a Mexican place with him. And this is one of those times that I was trying to get sober secretly without telling people like, you got this, just take a month off. Just don't drink for a month. So I went with him, met with him. And we always would order the same type of margaritas every time we ever hung out. And he, he goes for the margarita and he was like, all right, you want one? Are you doing a double? And I said, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to just do water. And he was like, what? I said, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be sober. I'm trying to be sober for a few weeks. He's like, what are you talking about? Why, man? I, and he didn't think there was a problem because he didn't know. He was like, what are you talking about, man? Why would you think you need to take a month off? You always take an Uber home. You never put yourself in a bad spot. You're not sloppy with other people. Uh, he's like, true. You, uh, you, you know, vent on the internet sometimes, but isn't that what we all do? We all kind of do that sometimes. And in that moment, I remember thinking, I'm just going to tell him, I'm going to tell him that I have a secret compartment, a secret compartment underneath the flap where my spare tire is in my car. And I keep bottles of vodka there. I'm going to tell him, I'm going to see what he does. And so I told him. And I remember the look on his face and it was not a look of, I'm embarrassed of you. It was, oh no, what do I say to this guy? Hmm. I can't make a joke right now. This isn't a joking situation. <laughs> this isn't a abrasive, funny, comedic stand-up moment. He just, homeboy just told me he <laughs> hides bottles of vodka under his trunk in like a MacGyver type rig up, you know? And I remember him think, him saying to me, well, he's like, well, shoot, man. Well, maybe I shouldn't drink today. And I thought in that moment, I wonder if he has a problem. And I don't think he does. I said his, <laughs> I said his name on here, but he's never, ever told me that he, he has a problem. And I've never, but you know what? I guess I, maybe the moral of the story is you never know. You never know it, who's struggling because he, he didn't see it within me. He didn't know. Mm. And so when I admitted that to him, it was very freeing to say to someone that I knew he wasn't my friend 
because there was some obligation to be my friend. And, you know, when you have a partner, uh, whatever kind of relationship you're in, that's beyond friendship, you almost have to hold yourself to a certain standard with them. And you're always constantly thinking, I don't want to disappoint my partner. Hmm. But when you have a buddy, you're like, I'm going to say this really gross thing about me that I don't like. They're not going to peace out because I'm not trying to impress them in that way. I'm not trying Mm. to be the responsible one. I'm just being me and they're my friend despite it. So it was nice to get it out there and not feel like I was the devil. But I definitely saw a look in his face that I'll always remember thinking. I I mean, I walked away feeling like this is a problem. This is not a month long thing that I'm going to be able to do. Yeah. Just the look in his face was a look of worry immediately with the, it's all good. Well, maybe I shouldn't drink then. So, yeah, that's an incredible amount of courage as well to tell your friend at the time. So huge kudos to you, Joshua, for doing that. One thing I wanted to touch on was that you, you mentioned that you hid alcohol in your car. Talk to me about why you felt the need to hide alcohol. Because the amount I was consuming was becoming obvious. Whereas it started off, I never drank alone. And I could hold my liquor, man. I could hold it. I had built my tolerance up. It was when those nights would wind down and the social aspect was done. And I found myself wanting like a nightcap to end the night. That didn't seem bad to me. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Everyone has a nightcap. We all talk about nightcaps, but I had just had a bunch of alcohol. And then I guess really what, um, what happened was that I, like I was saying, the cycle of the pain started. So I knew I, couldn't wait until I was going to a restaurant or a bar to have a drink. I had to have alcohol there, but I was drinking all of like the standard bottles, not the huge one, not the tiny one, the standard bottles that you might have in your house or apartment. I was going through them quickly and I knew it was becoming obvious. So I had to create a way that I had my own stash and keep the other ones in the apartment full. Wow. Like I'm planning it this way. I'm manipulating it in this way. I'm becoming a person I never thought I would be. Wow. And it wasn't out of a mean spirited feeling. And I think that's a lot, a lot of why I kept it to myself is I was so guilty about it, but I wasn't doing anything malicious. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. If anything, I guess it's what they call self-medicating. I don't know what term you could call it, but it was just, it was the only thing I had discovered that I needed, but also was killing me. And I was going to keep doing it secretly. And I, I had to have it, but I was ashamed to say that I had to have it. So Mm. it was, uh, it just slowly became a thing that I never told anybody. Mm. I hid it. I had so many secret hiding spots for alcohol, buddy. I had so many that the car is one spot. And it's, it, I think maybe people in my life, even my wife and I, anytime, like I tell stories, like I'm telling you right now and I tell her stories about, Oh yeah. This one time when I had this hidden bottle, she looks at me shocked, like, Oh, another spot. I haven't heard this story. And I'm like, Oh yeah, there's a lot, man. There's a lot that I used to do privately that, I mean, I've admitted, but I haven't gone through all the details. Mm. So if I, I could tell you, I would be, what's the craziest hiding spot? Um, okay. So at my mom's home in my childhood room, she has started to nanny for kids just to help out in the neighborhood and people that she knows. 
And when I've been in my mom's house, um, she's put a children's fake refrigerator in my room, like one of those little plastic ones that they can play kitchen and play house. Well, when I, you know, when I'm spending a lot of time at my mom's house, I'll go to, I used to go a year or so ago. But yeah. So like January, February of last year, I would go and I would hide bottles in wow. the fake children's refrigerator you'd see little plastic toys plastic fruit plastic soda can and a big old thing of bottom shelf vodka hmm. wow. and every time i opened it i would go what are you doing why are you why why i know why but why hmm. god yeah. if she if she what if the little kid had opened up what if i was out you know, work and doing stuff. And the kid was there. Oh, I want to go pretend to make whatever lemonade and opens it up. What's this? You know, like mm, that mm. was the worst spot. That wow. was the worst crazy, a children's uh, plastic refrigerator. Yeah. That's a pretty crazy spot. Joshua, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that you mentioned earlier. You were in a very high profile relationship that unfortunately didn't end well. Talk to me a little bit about the impact that all of this had on your drinking, the fact that not only was the relationship publicized, but the end of the relationship was publicized as well. How did this all impact your relationship with alcohol? I would say it, like I never want to blame a situation or a person on my decisions. And I feel like I'm learning that with time and in sobriety, I'm learning to never point at someone or a thing or life and say that is why the bottle happened that is why but all that being said i think it's also powerful and important to understand that certain dynamics might be poisonous to you and to avoid those dynamics hmm. and if you can recognize these things and avoid them and put healthy things in your life then if you know you're prone to doing crappy things, you won't do them as often if you surround yourself with a team or a small little unit of people that you know allow good behavior. All that being said, everything that I went through so publicly, all eyes, I was getting death threats. My sister was getting death threats. I had to have security walk around with me at events where I was supposed to host. It was a big VidCon event with 3,600 people and I was supposed to host that final event. I, the amount of death threats I got about you better watch your back when you turn to walk off stage type of thing. And there's so many people, right? And this is not too long after Christina Grimmie was killed by a fan and she was a YouTuber, um, rest her soul. Uh, and so it was real to me. All of that was so real to me that me, drinking a little bit more was the least of my worries mm. to me when I'm like amping myself up to go on stage thinking, am I going to get shot <laughs> based off of misinformation that teenagers have mm. about my personal life that I'm just discovering. I'm just discovering a lot of stuff that was going on. And in, in that, they feel validated to threaten. All it takes is one person to be serious. All it takes is one person to go a little bit too far. And all that piled up on me and I drinking just became the natural 
first thing that I would do. Before any of that happened, I was drinking more than I used to because the relationship was crumbling and I was amping up the amount that I was drinking, but I wouldn't say that, oh God, I had a drinking problem. It was, hey, if I look back on it now, I would say, hey, um, you might want to cut back. You're not there yet, but hey, maybe don't drink as much. All it did was when all that happened and all the eyes were on me and all the pressure was there, all the pain was happening, right? Oh, and right when I was pulling myself out of it, getting a little healthy, I was in therapy, I was doing a lot of stuff. Then I get the news about my father uh, leaving my mother, which was the last thing I ever, none of us ever thought that that was an option. If you knew that dynamic and you knew it. So imagine a guy who's starting to drink too much, going through a lot, millions of people are watching. He's getting death threats. He's drinking even more. He's going to therapy. He's getting himself together. He's cutting back. He did go a month without drinking. He's doing better. Dad leaves mom, world shattered, foundation shattered, everything he told me not to be. Maybe he is that person. Maybe everything he told me not to do, secretly he was that person. So what did I do? I embraced that bottle hardcore. It just became the only thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I think if maybe I wasn't in that situation, but like, that's what I'm saying. Like we can yeah. make assumptions all day. And again, I don't want to make someone feel like a villain because I was the one picking the drink up. Yeah. I chose it. I picked it up. I knew it was bad and I kept doing it because I just didn't see a better option for myself. Yeah. That was long winded. I apologize. For no, that. no, no. All of that was, was necessary and needed. So thank you so much for sharing that, Joshua. After your dad split up from your mother and you mentioned you hit the bottle um, and you hit the bottle hard, at what point after that did you realize you have a problem here and you have to really deal with this problem? I think when it's, you don't realize that there's a moment. Mm. You just, you get used to a lot of small crappy moments and that becomes normal. So when a big one hits, then you think, oh man, you know, it can't get worse than this. And then it goes back to the, the crappy, the smaller crappy moments. So, but there was never a th- uh, just a moment where I looked in the mirror and thought, wow, this is it. This is a problem. This, yeah. It just became so much of a problem that I don't remember a period between 2016 and 2020. I don't remember a period where I didn't think I had a problem. That's really interesting. So I knew that for four years. So it yeah. wasn't like a moment that I was like, wow. I have a problem. So now I know I have a problem. It was, oh no. Yeah, well, I have this problem. Yeah. I have to cancel today. I can't, I can't meet you for lunch. I'm mm-hmm. heaving in the bathroom. I had gigs, man. I booked a job to be a main, uh, a main singer in a group that I used. I used to be in a, a traveling boy band, basically. Mm. And I was asked to rejoin the group for a one-off kind of Christmas special. And I said, sure, man, that's, that's right up my alley. And maybe documenting my life is not what I really want to do anymore. Maybe I just want to focus on the talent aspect, the music aspect. I flew to go be a part of this show and I, my stomach ulcers were so bad and the alcohol. And I knew if I go on this thing, I can't drink when I'm there. So stomach ulcers were flaring up. And then I was hungover for like two days, body going through withdrawals. And if you've been through withdrawals, you know, you can't function. Mm. If you are that deep in it and you go cold turkey, your body will not accept this. Yeah. And I knew I had to be on a stage in front of 
you know, 2000 people. And I was in the bathroom from the moment I got there, heaving and vomiting and sweating mm. and crying like a child in pain. They're all like, what happened to you? Because the last time I was with that group, I was this skinny, in shape, solid, dependable, like workhorse. Mm. If you want a job done, ask Josh to do it. He'll get it done. He's, he's got the passion for it. At this point, I was just trying to get off the bathroom floor. Thanks for sharing that. How did your recovery journey start, Joshua? So I chose to get sober. And I think the some people see it as a, um, a negative thing, um, as a curse. I see it as a gift. I chose to be sober right when the pandemic hit. And that's when a lot of people started drinking more mm. because we're all stuck. The world's going to, you know what? And, you know, everyone's going to the bottle. Everyone's like, screw this, man. I don't even know what tomorrow holds. Well, that's when I was like, I'm not going to drink anymore. And the only reason I did that is because I was caught. And if anyone watches my YouTube channel, um, I documented that. And I made a video probably 40 days or so after I had gotten caught to finally admit to my audience what was going on inside of me. But that wouldn't have happened if I had not been caught drinking from my secret compartment out of my trunk at like midnight on my best friend's birthday. And my wife caught me by looking out the window and seeing my car outside in the middle of the night and me chugging what's called a buzz ball. If anyone knows what that is, it's a little like mini cocktail that looks like a ball and you pop it like a soda. It's the equivalent of like a full cocktail. I had two or three in my trunk ready for me and just went and chugged it. I probably hit the second one. And when I came back inside, um, my wife was standing up to welcome me back in, which I thought was weird because we were about to watch a movie. Why are you standing to greet me? Mm. This is not formal 1912. Like what's, what's happening? And uh, she was like, what were you drinking out there? And I, in that moment, just that one question said, you saw me. What were you drinking? Not down at the fridge. What did you, would you go? Did you make yourself a Dr. Pepper or something? What were you drinking out there, out there? Mm. And I just thought, this is the moment. I'm either going to lie upon lie and just say, it's been a rough week and I had a couple of buzz balls back there. I shouldn't have done it. I did it. I could lie and just say it was that small or I could say, this is what I'm doing mm. all day, every day. And I've been doing it for four years. Wow. So I decided to tell her. I decided that life, if I was going to live this life, it had to be authentically. It had to be. Because what I was doing before, I was just waiting to die. I was literally waiting for it to happen. So if I'm going to do something different than that, I can't halfway do it. And I've always been the kind of person that I'm either fully in or I'm not in at all. I don't mm. halfway do something. I'm either, I just didn't do the project at all because I didn't feel like it. Or I did the project and I did it 10 times better than everyone else because I obsessed over it and it was mine. Mm. That's what this was. So I knew if I was going to be honest, I needed to be honest about everything and do it transparently without sugarcoating it. And so we had a, probably a two or three hour conversation that night and I told her everything. And it was the most freeing moment probably of 2020 for me. 
probably mm-hmm. in the last four years of that, that time was letting it go and seeing someone look at me without an ounce of disgust, without an ounce of I'm disappointed. And all that was, was what can we do to get you past this? And that was it. What can we do? Let's make a plan together. How lucky am I to have a person look at me that way? Because that conversation could have been, that conversation could have been the worst. Yeah. Imagine that conversation if it was slightly negative. Imagine what what I would have done. I would have been like, well, Everything I was afraid of is true. Mm. I was just going to say, what an amazing wife that you have to help yeah. support you in the in the biggest time of need in such a positive way. And now you're over one year sober since that moment. Um, yeah, and like you said, if you'd reacted in a different way, God knows what the outcome would have been. But you've been over a year sober. Talk to me about what's helped in the last year to help in your recovery journey from, you know, drinking buzz balls out of your car to where you are now? Oh man. Um, well, I downloaded an app called I am sober. Wow. I am sober. It's completely free. They've never sponsored me uh, financially. I mean, they're technically kind of like a sponsor in that realm, not in the money realm. And it was at first, it was really nice just to go onto the app. You, you say what your addiction is. You make a pledge to yourself why you're choosing to be sober. And every single day you get on the app and you pledge today. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do whatever I'm struggling with. Now the Mm -hmm. app isn't just for alcohol. It's for other things too. It could be um, a dietary thing. It could be a, um, personal, whatever. It could be a lot of things, but you're pledging that day to say, I'm not doing it. And what's cool is it puts you in a group of people that pledged the same time you did. So every time I was struggling, I could hop on the app and look at the community that was all in this community board saying, Hey, I'm three months sober today. Today was the hardest day. Mm. And then everyone's like, you got this, man. You got this, Kevin. You're on it, man. I'm on the same day as you. And I didn't drink today. I know you can. And I would see, and I never interacted with them. I was just watching them support each other Hmm. thinking I'm exactly the same moment they're in. And it was really nice to see this community of people supporting and not judging each other because they're going through it. So they know, oh, this person's like me. So they have no reason to be negative towards them. And then that was something that was there. A strange thing for me. And I think everyone that deals with whatever type of struggles with a substance or something in that realm. The moment I stopped drinking, I did not walk around at all thinking, man, I could really go for a beer right now. Man, I could really have a vodka soda. Man, I'm really missing those buzz balls. I Mm. never had those moments. I missed feeling numb, but I didn't ever think, ah, wish I could be chugging that. It was weird because I've talked to a lot of people that have struggled and, you know, they would consider themselves an alcoholic and they're like, yeah, I get cravings all the time. It's always, it's always kind of going to be there. I just deal with it differently. Mm. I guess. And it's different for every person. So again, like when I stated, I'm either an all or nothing guy, I'm either fully in or I'm not. When I decided I'm not drinking, I was just like, all right, then it's, that's the decision. There have been times that, I, you know, over the last year, I've been with uh, my wife and we took a little anniversary trip and we passed by this vinyl record store. 
that also was a bar. So you could go put on a vinyl record, have a cool drink or a cocktail and just be in this kind of wood oak smelling room. And when we passed it, I, I was like, you know what? This is the first time I actually really could go for a drink, but I'm not wanting it because I want to be numb or drunk or buzz. Yeah. I just got that, that carbonation of the beer or the coldness as it goes down your throat, that the aspect and the music and the people and the smell of the bar. I was like, I kind of miss it right now. I kind of wish we could go in there, but we're not, but we're not. And that kind of thing has happened maybe four or five times in the last 13 months now that I've been sober. In those times, how has your amazing wife and uh, you also talked about how you came true and told all your million plus followers that you're now sober and you battled with this, but now you've come out the other side. How did those two things really help in those tough times? I think knowing that I had, that I have my wife there is such a comforting thing that keeps me, I don't know, maybe I don't want to say that like, she's the reason why I don't, because she's not the reason why I don't. I, I stopped drinking because I chose to live because hmm. I wanted to live. And it wasn't because I wanted to be a decent husband or a decent son. I chose to live. And so every decision I make, I know I did it for me. So I don't, I don't look at her thinking I did this for you. This is all for you. And I'm following your rules. So anytime I'm struggling, I know she's just there as she's really there as a best friend. She really, I don't feel judged by her. And I don't feel like she's looking at me checking in 24 seven. I think she knows that I've, I've decided to be so transparent that if there was an issue, I would say it to her. So she doesn't worry about me in that way. And I know that she's there consistently. I think the thing that makes me proactively anti-alcohol, it's not her. It was the, the viewership. It was the people that resonated with the story. Mm. It was the people that that first video I put out where I was like, hey, this is it, man. I never thought I could make this video. And it's got over 400,000 views on it. And I never thought that was going to happen because my big rise to fame to me is, you know, in the past. And now what I do, there's, there's a solid chunk of people that care about what I do, but I'm, you know, I know that the 400,000 range is not typically where I'm placed anymore, Hmm. but the story resonated so much with the people. I think a lot of them, they were just curious what really is happening with Josh. And then Hmm. the overwhelming amount of stories I heard, of people and their experiences, or this video is the reason why they decided that they were worth living. Mm. That video inspired someone else to say, you know what? He decided to live. I want to live. And I'm going to have to take this seriously. I have to take the value of myself seriously. And the times that I've been sad or depressed or angry or just any human emotion, that's not good. And I'm like, screw this. Why am I doing this? And it's very few and far between, but the, the views and the stories are the ones that made me think this, this is bigger than me now. Wow. Yeah. It's bigger than me now. And what a beautiful way to stay healthy. What a cool thing to add. So I'm doing it for the right reasons, but guess what the icing on the cake is because you're doing it and you're talking about it and you're creating a dialogue. Even if one person sees that and says, you know what? I don't want to die, man. Mm. and I'm not going to 
and and then they don't. They don't die because they choose to live. They choose to be accountable with themselves. They choose that they're worth something because some YouTube guy that made douchey videos 10 years ago, five years ago, slightly inspired you, man. It's all worth it. It's all mm. worth it. And those comments, I, I read them and I try to respond as many as I can. There's so many. Oh, there's so many people out there that maybe are lurking and they didn't even leave the comment. Those are just mm. the people that left comments about their life. What about the ones that are like me that didn't want to say it? I lurked and like in the shadows, looked up videos online for years, for two or three years of people battling addiction because mm. I wanted to see what they were doing. How did they do it? I would search one month sober and I would watch these people talk about it. And i never said anything. I never commented anything. And sometimes those videos rubbed me the wrong way. And sometimes they were the right thing. And, and I thought if I can at least be the right thing for a person, then it's been worth it. And I, what you're doing is just, it's that with a hyper focus of doing the right thing and creating a community for people right now. And I just think it's, it's such a beautiful thing. Mm. So it's, I'm so thankful that you're having me on this. No, thank you so much, Joshua. Honestly, I think, like you said, it's incredibly rewarding. I think there is an incredible amount of courage from yourself to come out and speak about your story. And like you said, so many people resonating with that story, benefiting from that story, being inspired themselves to actually quit and even acknowledge they have a problem, I think is just an incredible fee. And, and like you said, there's still so much work to be done because there's so many more people that unfortunately are suffering that may not have seen your video, that may not have come across our podcast. And we need to reach them in some way, shape or form so they can get real with their addiction they can get transparent with their addiction and they can seek the support that they need so thank you josh for all the work that you're doing you've been sober for over a year now joshua so tell me a little bit about the impact that's had on your life why well, it gave my life back i didn't have a life my life was non-existent how do i say this without being super long-winded. When I stopped drinking, basically what I got back was transparency in my own life. I am fully present with those that I love. I show up when I say I'm gonna show up. Mm. Uh, I've acquired new skills because I'm not hungover or drunk. I learned how to cook. I learned how to cut my own hair. I learned um, a lot of things about myself. I learned how to be patient. Alcohol was keeping me from truly experiencing something as simple as walking outside and letting that sun hit your face and you just smile, you get those goosebumps just for that moment. I didn't have those moments anymore. And you, you don't realize that those are even moments until you start experiencing them again. When you walk outside and you're not squinting because you're hungover, you're outside because it's fresh and the, the air smells good. The sun hits you and you don't feel hungover. And all of a sudden you think, I'm, I'm more than existing. I'm experiencing. Wow. And I want to experience what a gift this life is. There's so much to experience rather than just to exist. And so I've spent the last 13 months experiencing life for all that it is. And a lot of that is just quiet, tender, genuine moments where you're just present 
That was really profound, uh, Joshua. And I love how you talked about experiencing life there. That's just uh, an incredible transformation and huge kudos to you, uh, Joshua. Just finally, my final question to you, Joshua, is what advice do you have to those who are suffering from an addiction? What you are and the kind of life you can continue to have is your experience. It's your choice. And if you want those experiences to be worth sticking around for, you have to decide that. Mm. You have to decide that. Because I sat and had, uh, you know, a book of reasons why I deserved to be sad. I deserved this drink. I deserved to mope. I deserved to be angry. I deserved to be at this place in life. I deserve this. Let me have my drink. Don't take it. When you realize your life is worth living without muffling yourself, without numbing yourself, just life is beautiful. If you allow yourself to have it, you have to allow yourself to have it. Mm. And the more you convince yourself that you don't have a problem, that's, that's one of the voices that alcohol puts in your head is convincing you mm. that you don't, you don't need to stop. You got to hold over it. When you start having to convince yourself, that's the problem right there. You shouldn't have to convince yourself. You know if you had too much and you know if you've been having too much and you know if you've been doing that for a long amount of time and it's more consistent. You know, you know. So don't pretend that you don't know. So those listening and, and hearing this, you know if this is taking too much of your life away from you. You know it. And if you know that, hear my words it will only get harder. It will only get worse. You will not get a better grasp the more you finagle yourself through alcohol or whatever substance you got. It's not going to become easier. You will not somehow grow some, you know, superpower that's you handle all of this 24 seven bouncing back, controlling it. It will control you. It will catch up to you. It will take over unless you don't have a problem. And that's the whole point is differentiating. If you know you have a problem, I'm talking to you. If this is a casual person, you don't have a problem. I'm not here to have any judgment, anything to say about that. Have mm. fun. Do you be healthy, man. Props to you. Go enjoy yourself. Everyone else. Good God. If you're convincing yourself, that's how many red flags. And it's hard to acknowledge your own red flags. Mm. It's so hard to acknowledge them at the beginning. That's so profound advice, Joshua. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I completely agree with you. The hardest step for most people is that realization, identifying the red flags and identifying that they need support. So thank you so much for, for sharing that, Joshua. Joshua, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you so much for sharing all your powerful stories, your powerful insights, your vulnerability. I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate every moment that, that you spent with me today. I like what you guys are doing and uh, you're such a great listener. So thanks for having me on. Just finally for the listeners, where can they find you, Joshua? Absolutely. I am on YouTube at youtube.com slash Joshua D as in David TV and also on Twitter and Instagram under the same name. I try to keep my content uh, these days positive and um, not as <laughs> venti as I used to do. So if you're looking for something that um, you just see someone trying to better themselves and learn new skills, um, figure this thing 
called Life Out, that's uh, that's a good place for you to go do that. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and thank you for tuning in. You can find out more about Quit Genius on quitgenius.com and the podcast on missionrecoverypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed our content, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe and consider leaving us a review. Thank you.